This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm your host, Sid Evans. And after four seasons of Biscuits and Jam interviews, I've got to say this one was a highlight. Dolly Parton was last on the show back in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And we talked on the phone about her Christmas traditions, her childhood in East Tennessee, and her incredible work getting millions of kids to read through the Imagination Library. This time, I got to sit down with her in person at her studio outside of Nashville, and she hasn't slowed down one bit. She told me all about her latest album, Rockstar, which features 30 rock and roll classics from covers like Prince's Purple Rain and Bob Seger's Night Moves to some powerful new Dolly Parton originals. She's also just released a new book called Behind the Seams, My Life in Rhinestones, which documents more than six decades of outfits, costumes, and iconic looks from her career in the spotlight. We'll talk about all that, her taste in biscuits, and what it means to her to be Southern on this week's Biscuits and Jam. Dolly Parton. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam. Well, thank you. I need some more biscuits and jam. <laughs> so, Dolly, I've just got to ask you before we start, how do you like your biscuits? I like them really well, and I eat them in any size, shape, or form. <laughs> so, cathead biscuits yeah. or drop biscuits? I grew anyway. up on cathead biscuits. Okay. That's what Mama said. Somebody said, oh, why do you call them cathead biscuits? I said, because they're big. They're the size of a cat's head in the country. That's how people would call them cathead biscuits. A lot of people thought that it had something to do with the cat, but it right. was the size of the biscuit. <laughs> of course, you know that. <laughs> and, of course, I, I make some pretty ones. If I'm in a hurry, they're not so pretty, but they're always good. And you're not above a canned biscuit either. No, I like canned biscuits sometimes. <laughs> There's certain things I like canned biscuits. So I have to say a biscuit is a biscuit, some better than others, but they're all good. <laughs> so, Dolly, the last time we talked was in 2020, and it was the height of COVID, and it was a terrible time in the world. But when you look back on that time, what are some lessons that you kind of took away from that? Well, I tried to find new ways of working as I think we all did. But it didn't slow me up because I was fortunate because I have a studio in my house. and So we were able to film things like me reading books to the children or like if I needed to put something down, I could just do that because I could do it without exposing myself to a lot of people or having anybody else exposed. So we did pretty well with it. But I just really learned how fortunate we are to have the freedoms that we do so I think more than anything, it just made you think about all the things that can happen. And it put a lot of people closer to their families. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes it was not. I think they had a lot of divorces right after that. But it was one of those times that we had nothing to do but be able to make the most of it and follow the rules. Yeah. And maybe write some songs. Oh, I wrote a lot of songs. It did not cripple me or slow me up like it did a lot of people. I was very productive during that time. Very. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, just want to say congrats on the new album, Rockstar, which is so great. And there's 30 songs on it. I mean, there's so much to it. It's so much fun. And I heard you say somewhere, I've got rock and roll down in my country soul. <laughs> and 
I do. That's the line from the song I wrote called Rockin' It that I did on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they inducted me. I kind of wrote a song about that whole event. When I talked about I grew up loving Elvis and Wild Man Jerry Lee, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, they all cast a spell on me. And anyway, I said, I've been rocking, rocking, rocking since the day I was born. Cause I still got rock and roll down in my country soul, and I'll be rocking till the cows come home. So even as you were doing so much with country music in the 70s and the 80s and all this music that's on this album was coming out, I mean, were you were listening to these songs? And, yeah. Yeah. I especially was listening because my husband, which we've been married 58 years in May, but all of our whole life together, he's done nothing but play rock and roll, and that's his music. Yeah. As loud as he can play it in the truck, in the car, in the den, you know, wherever. I'm always hearing these songs, but I listen to the radio, too. You know, I'm just one of those punchers when they had the punch back in the old days. Yeah. And the radio where you punch around to different stations. And I would just always go to different stations to listen to different music. But so many of these songs I did love, and many of them Carl loved, and I chose things that he liked that I thought I could sing well. Yeah. Well, you sure did. What's the difference between writing a country song and writing a rock and roll song? Well, a song's a song as far as the message, but it's more in the rhythm. It's more in the sound because I really learned a lot about singing rock and roll. It's not like country where you can sing it any way you want to. And I'm a stylist, as you know, and a lot of people have never heard me sing anything outside my own songs or original songs that somebody else had written. So when I got into these songs, I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to do it really good, and I didn't want it to sound country. I knew it would sound like me, but I tried to ride that line to where I stayed true to the Rockfield, and Kent Wells, who produced the album, did a great job. He's a rock and roller, too, at heart. Now, he grew up loving that music, so he knows it, even though he's worked with me all these years in country. But... I knew he was the one for it, so he kept me pretty steady. You know, you got to stay on the beat. You can't do like country. You know, you got <laughs> there's certain rules you got to have where you don't want to lose your groove and all that. So I had him to lean on. But a song's a song, and if you got a good voice and a good range, I mean, I have a good range. I don't know how good my voice is. But it was a challenge for me, and it was a fun thing for me yeah. getting in the studio. To, and I'd think, I wonder if I can hit that note. And I thought, oh, sure, I can hit that note. <laughs> and then sometimes I'd think of stuff to do that wasn't in the original song, and I'd think, I wonder if I should go for that. And it would kind of dolly eyes it a little bit. Right, you yeah. Know, instead of, so it seemed to work out okay. But it was a fun thing. Kind of like a test of a sort. It's different. Well, you know, I got to ask you about some of the women rock stars on this album. I mean, you've got Hart and Joan Jett and Blondie and Pat Benatar and Melissa Etheridge and so many others. Debbie Harry. So many Dolly. others. <laughs> what are some of the qualities that these women have in common and that you kind of related to? Well, I always loved Joan Jett. And I was going to do I Love Rock and Roll. Yeah. And she said, oh, Dolly, don't do that one. Everybody does that. She's so sweet. I just love her. She's so up front with me. She said, let's do I Hate Myself for Loving You. That's more of a song for you. I mean, you're a person that sings. She said, anybody can do I Love Rock and Roll. So I said, okay, I love that song. But I like the fact that these women know who they are. Like Melissa Etheridge, golly. Mm -hmm. I love her anyhow. I did something with her years ago on a show called Crossroads, I think it was, where we exchanged each other's songs. I sang some of her songs, she sang some of mine, and then we did some duet stuff. And I just loved how we sounded, so she was one of my 
first choice is to sing. And so these women are strong in their talent, strong in their beliefs and sturdy in their ambition. And they just kind of know what they want and they seem to know how to get it. Yeah. Well, just like Pink, when I sang with Pink and Brandy Carlisle on Can't Get No Satisfaction, you know, she just goes for it. Yeah. And she's great. So they're just strong women that are talented and ready to woman up and take it like a man. <laughs> be, be as good as or better than. Well, it seems like a real tribute to them, this whole album. Pat Benatar is another one that did great. I love yeah. Boy, that girl can sing. And Ann Wilson singing with Ann. Oh, heart, yeah. Like a joy, golly. I had to keep running to keep up with her. <laughs> I thought, well, you ain't going to outrun me. I got to keep up with you, girl. <laughs> yeah, we had fun. Dolly, I got to ask you about one of your songs, and that's World on Fire. Oh, yeah. So I know that you wrote this song kind of at the end of the process. But this is a really different kind of song for you. And it sounds like you are sort of fired up and kind of fed up with the way that people are treating each other. What were you thinking when you sat down I to write that one? I was thinking that my heart was heavy. And I've just been watching everything that's going on and just how we don't seem to be trying to do anything about it. Hmm. And the only way I know how to express myself, because I'm not political and I hate politics. So that's the only time I ever even said a word about politics in the song. But I was talking about the politicians of the world or that we let stuff like get more in the way of just human decency and kindness and values and all the stuff that we used to seem to have at least a notion about, and now it seems like we're just drifting. And I think I wrote it. It was and not anger so much. It's just kind of fear and concern and trying to just throw a light on it to think maybe something I might say might change a few minds and touch a few hearts. That's how I felt, and I just felt led to write it. And I didn't know if it was a rock song or not. We were finished with the album, and I called... Kent the next day after we said we were done and said, I've got another song we have to do. He said, Lord, another one? I said, yeah, but this is a really good one. So I went down and played it for him with my guitar. He said, yeah, we need to do that one. So he did a great job in the production of that. I don't know what to think about us. When did we lose in God we trust? God Almighty, what we gonna do if God ain't listening? He really did, and it's a really powerful song. It's almost like you were just trying to kind of shake people and wake them up a little bit, get their attention. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I was just trying to say, hey, everybody, wake up. Yeah. We need to wake up. We need to do a little better. Yeah. And you also did a great song with your goddaughter, Miley Cyrus, called Wrecking Ball. That must have been so much fun doing that song with her. Well, I love Miley. Anytime we get a chance to sing together, we'll take it. But I just think our voices are so compatible. Of course, we know each other. We're kind of like little heartmates somehow. So I think we feel it, and she's listened to me all her life, and I've heard her. So if I start to go one place, she knows she'll go there. Same with her. If she starts to go somewhere, I feel it. That's one of my favorite songs. I love the song, and I love singing with Molly. And so when I just thought, I have to have this on the album, and I have to have Molly for sure, so why not that one?
That's a great one. Let's talk about another one of your favorite songs for a second. Okay. Rocky Top. So I love, as a Tennessee fan, that you did a version of the album for Tennessee fans, and you put Rocky Top on there. I did, as a little bonus track for Tennessee. (laughs) I'm going to be up there. I'm going to actually sing Rocky Top up there the day they play Georgia. Anyway, I'm going to go up and just be there and just say hey to everybody and probably sing a little bit of Rocky Top with the crowd, too. Well, we need all the help we can get against Georgia. Ah, well, maybe, maybe I'll have a little, little power. I don't know. Hope they don't kick me out if they don't win. After the break, I'll talk more with Dolly Parton about her new book, Behind the Seams, My Life in Rhinestones, and a very memorable wardrobe malfunction. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with the one and only Dolly Parton. Dolly, let's talk about your new book. Okay. Um, so it's called Behind the Seams. Yes, yeah, My good. Life in Rhinestones, which is so great. And you have a line in the introduction where you said, clothes are like songs, which means a lot coming from you. What did you mean when well, you said I that? Well, they stir up memories. They stir up feelings. They stir up times and things that you were thinking and feeling. And I think it seems true with clothes. I'll go in my closet when I'll see an outfit that I wore. It might even have a certain perfume I was wearing at that time. You know, I can still smell it, especially on stage clothes. You know how songs will just stir you in so many ways, especially if you've had a breakup, it just kill you if you hear one of those sad songs. Same thing if you're happy and you hear one of those, if you're you in love. And the same thing with clothes. They just kind of take you on a journey. And this is a journey into my life. I've been in this business six decades. And so I started when I was 10 up in Knoxville, right across from UT. Yeah. <laughs> at a little radio station that I used to walk across the viaduct there. So I think it's just a journey, and it stirs up emotions. And I love talking about the journey and clothes in the book. And I tell about what I felt, where I was, what was going on at the time in my career, in my life. But the thing I enjoy the most that I get to present some of the people that have helped me through the years to create 
my look, the hairdos and the clothes, and get to talk to them. And It takes a village. It does. It sure <laughs> does to dress the village idiot. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> well, it is a great journey, and it's just so fun to see not only what you were wearing, but what was kind of trendy at the time and what everybody else was wearing, and to celebrate that, you know, to yeah. celebrate that. Well, I think really people fun. get a kick out of looking at clothes. I know I do. And seeing how people dressed, you know, back then, I always loved looking at all those old Hollywood magazines, and I kind of related more to Mae West. You know, than anybody else, because she little and had her little shapely things she liked doing and the big flamboyant outfits that she used to wear. And so I really loved that myself. And I know that I love looking at people's clothes. Tell me about what you're wearing right now. Well, I'm matching my book right now. <laughs> this is a Steve Summers original. But this is just a beautiful little pants outfit. This kind of got some little sheer stuff, which I love, little soft, clean yeah. things. I'm so girly. <laughs> I always said it's a good thing I was a girl or I'd have been a drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, Dolly, when you think about some of the outfits that you've worn over the years, looking at some in that book, they look like they might have been a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Is there one that kind of stands out that was just a really uncomfortable thing? Maybe you had to wear it to an award show or something? Uh, well, some of them were tight. They were more uncomfortable for some other people than they were for me. I remember one time I wore this beautiful dress that Ann Roth, the lady that did all the costumes for the 9 to 5 movie, well, she had made this dress that I had worn. It was made out of really, really thin fabric. And it didn't stretch much, and it was silver on one side and gold on the other. And I wore it to an award show where I had won an award. I don't remember which award it was, but it was when Kenny Rogers was married to Marianne mm. Rogers. And Marianne had a mink stole that she was wearing. So I was sitting right beside them, and I started to get up, and my dress just busted right oh, no. Started to tear you know, right down the middle. <laughs> so I just grabbed her stole and walked up on the stage and was holding it. <laughs> when I got my award and then I made some kind of thing, I said, I know this don't go with my dress or something like that. I said, but I busted my dress. And like my daddy would say, that's what you get trying to put 15 pounds of mud in a five-pound bag or something like that. <laughs> so I've had a few little malfunctions. But for me, I can't hardly get them too tight. Sometimes when I'm singing, though, if they get too tight right in the waist from where you have to sing from here. You're filling up your rib cage. Yeah, and, I know. Yeah. So I have to be kind of careful with that. <laughs> Do you have most of these outfits? Are they stored somewhere? Yes. I have big barns on my farm. Yeah. Big warehouses, storage places. When people drive by, they think we have horses. They think they're stables. <laughs> they do. I've mean, so many people say, how many horses do you have? I said, well, I don't have any horses, but I've got a lot of clothes. I've been horsing around in a lot of clothes all these years. But I do have all my memorabilia. We do loan out some things to other museums, and we do auction off a few pieces hmm. for certain auctions. My friend Judy Ogle, who's been my best friend since third grade, we went all through high school together, and then when I started working in Nashville, she started working with me. She saved everything, and so we've just kept that up and hmm. just keep everything because that's part of your life. It's you were, your history. You, you were thinking ahead when you were saving Oh, this. I was going to be a star. <laughs> Yeah, and Judy was going to see to it that I saved everything. 
Do you remember the outfits that you wore during Steel Magnolias? The movie was incredibly special. Which one? But just I had the way, several outfits. Right, yeah. Yeah, but see, we had the museum at Dollywood for years. They tore it down to build new stuff, which is coming out next year. But I took all the memorabilia back. But we have several costumes that I wore mm. during Steel Magnolias. And, of course, I worked in the beauty shop right. a lot. There was that little yellow sweater that I had on quite a bit. We keep everything, same as 9 to 5, best little whorehouse. Those made a beautiful display with all those sexy gowns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last time that we talked, I think we had named you Southerner of the Year for your work. Are you work. taking it back? And we're not taking it back. <laughs> And it was for your work with the Imagination Library, oh, giving yeah. books to kids for all those years. And this was founded back in 1995, and I'm just wondering if you have any special success stories, you know, kids that are now in their 30s, 40s, who started reading books with the Imagination Library. No, Do you hear from those people? I do. Well, I often hear from the little ones when they, they age out. Yeah. You know, and they don't get their books anymore. They have to have their moms write me to see if they can still get their books. They don't like it when they don't get that book every yeah. month. But I've had so many people, moms, to write me and say, I was in the Imagination Library. Now my little girl is in the Imagination Library. And it's like, this goes on and on. And I keep forgetting how old I am. People say stuff like that. And I think, oh, yeah, well, that was a long time ago that we started that. And some of them gone on to go to college. Some of them get scholarships. And they always tell everybody. I started my education with Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Oh. And, you know, we've given away over 200 million books now. That's worldwide. amazing. That's amazing. That's a lot of books. It really is. We'll keep at it. I hope you're going to keep on doing it. That's one of the things I'm proudest of is Mm. that that little literacy program where we can give books to kids that can't read and write. And In the early days, well, my dad couldn't read and write, and that's why I started the program. And Daddy helped me with it. And he got to live long enough to hear the kids call me the book lady, and he got such a kick out of that. Mm. I love that. He proud, yeah, to be part of that. Dollywood is now in its, I think, fourth decade. You started that even earlier, back in 1986. Yeah, yeah. So what is the secret to that park continuing to be such a success and people just love it so much, me included? Well, it's the same secret that I have in all of the things that I'm successful in. I am surrounded with great people. Mm. I have great partners. I have great employees. I have people that really take pride in what they do. And I have smart people. My partners at Dollywood are the Hershens, Mm. and they know that world. And we've just always got along so well and respected each other a lot. But I think the key to the success, no matter what we all do, is it is so family-oriented. We try to cater to family, something for everyone. You can bring your grandma and grandpa. They can walk around. You can bring your parents. This is a theme park. So we have some of everything. So there's something for everyone. Same with our resorts. We tailor make that for families with the bunk beds and where you can get rooms without that. But if you want to bring your kids, we tailor make it. For the family. Yeah. Well, my kids love the Screaming Eagle. <laughs> oh, do they? Yeah, that's the one Molly, Cyrus, whenever we do anything. Sometimes she and a bunch of friends go to Dollywood. Yeah. If she's down here, she can't get off of it. <laughs> but it's not for you, I don't think. I don't ride. No. <laughs> no. I, I'm not very good with rides. Well, Dolly, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Everything. 
I can't even begin to imagine not being Southern. Can you? No. I mean, somebody talks like me like you. <laughs> no, I love the food. I love the people. I love the landscape. I mean, it's like Tennessee, you know, the whole South. But Tennessee, I'm very proud of because it's like three states in one. You know, we got the hills and the mountains. Then we got the rolling hills here. And then it's just flat as a board. Yeah. I mean, in West Tennessee. Yeah. And then we got bluegrass, mountain music. We got country music. We got some of everything here. But just being from the South is just a big deal to me. Mm. And being a Tennessee girl, yeah. born and raised is a big deal to me. Well, it's a big deal to me to be able to talk to you. And congrats on the book and congrats on the album and congrats on everything else you're doing. And thanks so much for being back on Biscuits and Jam. Well, I love Biscuits and Jam. <laughs> I'm going to have to write you a song for Biscuits and Jam. Uh, that would be great. We yeah. would love it. Ain't there a song that must be one somewhere? <laughs> I know there's Jelly Roll. I think there is a song called Biscuit. There needs to be one, right? Yeah, I think there is. But I can write another. You can't copyright a title. <laughs> <laughs> Nor can you copyright a biscuit. No, you can't. That's right. Well, thanks for <laughs> Thank doing you. this. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dolly Parton. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And as always, we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join me in two weeks for a new episode with the One Tree Hill actress, singer-songwriter, and podcaster Bethany Joy Lentz. And next week, right before Thanksgiving, we'll have an encore of my conversation with Miranda Lambert. We'll see you then. Music